Welcome into the Off the Post podcast. I'm Nick DeLion with my co-host Lucas Tashi. Today we're going to be talking about the World Cup final, recapping the game itself, the penalties, the awards for the tournament, the news afterwards. Then we're going to be getting into the Premier League and the La Liga kicking off, you know, early next week. And then we'll follow it up with some news around the footballing world. We hope you guys enjoy the show. So, Lucas, Messi, greatest of all time. Messi is the GOAT. He's the greatest of all time, dude. I think from a footballing standpoint, every football fan, all right, not every, because there's still a few stragglers out there who, who don't believe this, but almost every football fan is so happy to see Messi win the World Cup, is so happy to actually finally admit or finally say that Messi is the greatest of all time, or if they still think Maradona or Pele are the greatest of all time, then you can say Messi's in the conversation. They'll be happy to admit that. Yeah, he's one of the three. One of the three, easily. And But in my opinion, this just got him to the top. He is literally the best of all time. And, bro, the tournament that he had, it was better than 2014, where he brought Germany by himself to that World Cup final. Despite all the penalties, whatever, like, the actual quality that he was playing was unbelievable. The penalty is, I mean, I understand that he scored of his, I believe it was like seven goals, like five of them were penalties, right? Uh, but I think I think that you can't really put that against him. You know, he's only assigned to take the penalties that the refs give them. And uh, aside from that, if you, even if you take him away, you know, he had two goals. Didn't he have like seven assists too, basically? Like some are ridiculously high number. So I think he... Uh, essentially has more than made up for it, even if he didn't score the five and they won the tournament and he had two goals and however many assists that he had, they w- he would still be the player of the tournament, you know. And and so I think uh, he, I totally agree with you. He deserves it more than in 2014 because I've said time and time and again, he did not deserve that award at all. He 100% deserves this one. Uh, he won the World Cup. You know, I said that if either Messi or Ronaldo won the World Cup, I would consider them the greatest of all time. And so here I am saying it. Here he is. He changed his mind. Lucas, we got him, lads. Lucas, Lucas was right, and I was wrong. We got him. We got <laughs> I, I said this back in September, too. We both like, It's just it's fate. No, I'm saying that Argentina is winning the World Cup, that it's fate that Argentina is going to win the World Cup. And I got to say, this Argentina team was very, very good. And I know we'll get into this game, but for the most part, outside of a span of five to ten minutes, Argentina were truly dominating the game. Um, But this is the best team that Messi's ever had, in my opinion, in terms of the international side. And, I mean, it's just, it's amazing to see that Messi is on top. He's literally conquered all of football, and now he's done it. That's the dream. That's the one thing that he's been wanting to do, and it, it's amazing to see. And, I mean, a lot of people agree because now he has three of the top five most liked photos on Instagram. He has the top liked photo, then there's the egg, and then he has the third top, uh, third best, and then the fifth best. It's amazing. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I think... You know, if you're looking at 
kind of his legacy, right? He's going to definitely win the Ballon d'Or this year because Mbappe is the only one round shouting distance. And Holland, I mean, if he continues to pull unstoppable numbers, those would be the top three. But I think if you're talking about any accomplishments, it's hard to see anyone aside from Messi getting it because whatever trophies Mbappe wins, he's going to win as well. And then he's won the World Cup on top of that. And it was the player of the tournament. So, I mean, he gets an eighth Ballon d'Or for this season. He gets the golden ball. He almost got the golden shoe as well. You know, he was one goal away from winning that. Uh, and I think that, he was actually winning it. And he was. He was winning it twice at two po- different yeah. points in that game. He was winning it. Uh, I, I think that there's so many complimentary things to say about him. You know, he's also two trophies away from, from I believe, tying Danny Alves's record for most trophies won in professional football. And he'll definitely get there this year. It doesn't seem like Alves is going to win any other trophies because no team really wants to take him on to, to play. And I think that seeing how Messi is playing and seeing that they're potentially going to extend his contract, that he's only going to win more in his career. And we'll talk about that later. But I think Argentina definitely deserved to win. They were the better team over the course of 80 minutes. And I think, I think honestly, the other 40 minutes, France were better. But if you're just looking at, at regular time, definitely Argentina was the better side. Could not, we were texting, and I could not imagine seeing France come back the way that they did. I saw Mbappe score the penalty. And we're going to get into the details, right? But I saw Mbappe score the penalty. I go upstairs to talk to my mom for literally 30 seconds. And I come back downstairs and it's 2-2. And so, I mean, just getting into the details of the game, Lucas, you know, they uh, Argentina got the penalty first, right? We both thought it was soft. Yes. Uh, 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 as somebody who's cheering on Argentina, it was a soft penalty for sure. Right. And, and uh, I mean, the thing to say about that, right, is that, France ended up also getting a soft penalty in the same kind of way, in same situation. So because the referee judged them both the same, I can't really fault them. Because in, in my eyes, if it wasn't going to be 2-2, then it would have ended 1-1 anyway. If you didn't yeah. get those, right? It's more so, consistency. Whether it's a soft penalty or an actual penalty, uh, we like to see consistency from both sides. So yeah. kudos to the referee on that part. Yeah, totally agree with that. What did you make of, I mean, the other two goals, right? Di Maria's goal and then and then Mbappe's goal. Di Maria's goal, that the passing movement was so fluid from beginning to, like, in their own half to Messi's first ball to Alvarez to Alvarez's ball to uh, McAllister and then just a beautifully uh, – placed ball to Di Maria where he did that Ozo finish. He did that chop on it. Bro, really, that football was just amazing. And then for literally after that goal, for the most part of 45 minutes, because they scored in the 30th minute, that second goal, Argentina were dominating. You never expected France to even get back, as you said that. After 60 minutes, they had accumulated zero XG. What that means is that they had zero shots on target. They had zero opportunities to even get a goal. They had zero shots overall, not even a shot out of target, no no shots at all, which is just mind-boggling to see that happening. But um, then the penalty comes in for Mbappe. And, you know, you you said it earlier. If it's called in the first half for on Di Maria, you got to call it in the second half for Mbappe. Ref did that. 
But then literally 30 seconds later, beautiful give and go from, uh, who was it? I think it was Turam and uh, Mbappe, where Mbappe volleys it home. What a strike from Mbappe. And it's like that game that when you're playing FIFA and you just sit up, you're like, all right, let me take this seriously. That's what Mbappe did after the 80th minute in the penalty mark. I, I want to I wanna just talk about the details in that game. I mean, uh, the speech that Mbappe gave at halftime, I don't know if you saw that. That was one of the uh, most you know, incredible things that I've, I've heard in, in a while from a player to, to talk about it. You know, it, it's, it's that speech, and then it's the speech that that coach gave to, to Saudi Arabia at halftime, too, that kind of stand out for, like, the inside things that we saw throughout this tournament. And, I mean, I think it shows kind of a different side of him that he's actually the leader on that team because, I mean, we'll, we'll, and we'll talk about Lloris later. I think that it shows that he's the star. He, yeah. They all look up to him. When the moment was uh, needed for him to rise, he definitely did. And I also kind of uh, look back and I see that, you know, Argentina's goal was a very team-oriented goal, and then Mbappe's was a good give and go, but a moment of individual brilliance. So it's cool to see that we got both sides of it with those types of goals. And then to to add to that, uh, Lucas, I think Deschamps definitely gets credit for the adjustments that he made, uh, and I mean basically the balls that he had to sub Giroud yeah. off at at, at uh, the. Fourth yeah, or before the before halftime, making two substitutions, right? Taking uh, Dembele off as well, and then also making two subs in the 70th minute. That really did change the game and brought it into France's favor. But he also does not get credit for the the essentially kind of the strategy he had before that, right? Mm-hmm. They got completely destroyed that first half, and because of him being tactically unjust and not fielding this the correct lineup for the players that that they, they, they essentially had set up for Argentina. It shows that he got outcoached in the first half, but then for the rest of the game, he essentially outcoached Scaloni. I, I, that's how I feel personally. I think if France ends up making those adjustments and starting the game that way, it's a totally different game. It's mm-hmm. more, way more competitive throughout, you know, and I think we still get there where it ends 2-2 because – the, the gas pedal is less off France near the end, and it's just on throughout the entire game. But I think that, you know, the substitutions definitely impacted the game. Going into extra time, I thought that France definitely had the advantage there. Uh, but I thought... At Both well, teams had good opportunities. I would say... Extra time was even. I wouldn't give any team a specific advantage, to be honest. I'll say when we got to extra time, before it started, I thought France oh, had yeah. The, yeah, I thought France had the advantage based on how they ended the game, right? And then also I kind of felt like if it got the penalties, that Argentina would win. So in my head, I was like, well, France has to capitalize within this 30-minute window before yeah. they get to PKs. Yeah, and then in extra time, actually Argentina started off on the front foot. They were in the opposing 30 uh, third for majority of the half and then uh, they had a few chances chance after chance in that first 15 where you saw it coming you're like it, it could come it could come Lotaro Martinez doing his best Iguain impersonation where he misses chance after chance after chance and still misses chance after chance which is just unbelievable how bad somebody could have been um, but luckily for Argentina that didn't impact anything and I mean he was involved in the goal 
as Messi did score on the uh, 108th minute. And it was off a rebound. Lautaro Martinez finally hit the target where it deflected off of Hugo Lloris. And Messi just taps it in. Rightfully deserved goal. Uh, and after then, then France went on the front foot. They kept attacking and attacking and attacking. Uh, and then France in the 117th minute, Mbappe got a penalty. And I thought it was valid. Valid penalty, 100%. Arm was out, like nothing that you can complain about. Uh, really deserved quality taken penalty. Then after that, that's where the last five minutes was just unbelievable, dude. Like just craziness. I couldn't eat the entire game. You know, I, literally till around 2 p.m. I had not eaten that entire day because of how nerve-wracking that that ending was. From 70 minutes onwards, it was just pure, pure, just adrenaline. Yeah. And and I think you know the two chances that France had near the end. I, Argentina also had a chance at the end, but the two that France really had were, uh, I believe it's uh, it's Durham that misses the header just by like inches. Inches where if he just is one second later, that's in the back of the net. There's no doubt about it. Just by the way the ball was positioned. I mean, what a cross by Mbappe. And also the before that, before that chance, before this chance that you're about to say, there was another chance that Mbappe was about to become the best player of all time. Like with this one specific opportunity, he was going to become the best player of all time. Where he had dribbled through, not one, not two. Not three. He dribbled through four Argentinian defenders, and he was literally like by the penalty area, uh, by the penalty mark. Had a clear shot on goal. He probably would have scored it. Dybala comes in and he just clears it away. Right. If Mbappe scored that, bro, I, I don't know what would have happened. That would have been unreal. Like scoring four goals in the World Cup final, let alone scoring one goal in the World Cup final. This guy would have scored four. Right, and then the, also the pressure uh, at the end for him to score the second penalty, and then to score the penalty again in uh, in essentially you know the shootout. He scored three penalties against some guy who is well known for saving penalties. I mean, the amount of pressure on him for the second and the third. You rarely see players that scored one penalty during the game score a second, and we saw that with Harry Kane as well. When he yeah, tried yeah. to take the second and he ended up shooting it over because there's a lot of thoughts that go into it. When it's only one penalty, you have to only get it right. But the second and the third, there's layers to it where you have to kind of account for where the goal goalie went and where you shot it and what you should do to adjust for it, right? And Mbappe made the necessary adjustments along the way. Also, despite Emmy guessing in the same way correctly twice out of the three times, yeah, okay. uh, he had that right into the side netting. So there was no chance that it was going to be saved, you know, but then also that kick save by Emmy Martinez at the end, literally the last minute of the game, I would say last 10 seconds was, uh, was literally a world cup winning save because that was going in. I thought as soon as they, he shot it, I thought it was over. I'm not even when that split second where the volley leaves. And I think it's Thurm's foot again, but, uh, as soon as it hits his foot, I think it's going in. And that kick save is just super rare for him. You know, I think uh, I think that's an incredible save. He's obviously a hero for Argentina for, for what he did. And like you were alluding to with the Copa America, he was the difference then and he was the difference now for sure. 
Yeah, dude, I I think that's one of the greatest saves of all time, because not only is it the pressure of it, but that's a clear, clear, clear goal scoring opportunity. If you're looking at expected goals, the expected goal on that is probably uh point uh point eight, which means it's one less likely than a penalty shot because that is pretty much a penalty. That is an unbelievable save. And then he goes on. I mean, if we want to go shot by shot in the penalty shootout, we can. But he goes on to just be unbelievable in the shootout. And we can go into the mind games that he does because it really is amazing. But in the penalty shootout, as you alluded to, Mbappe goes so much pressure on him. Third penalty of the night. And he just slots it home. Like, honestly, Emmy did get close to it. But the accuracy of it was just unbelievable. Messi goes in, he does his stutter step where he just fakes it out and then tries to do a Jorginho better than Jorginho. Um, and he slots it right sl- by uh, Hugo Lloris. Yeah, I want to talk about that real quick. I think yeah. what Lloris did was very smart where he faked it in one direction, but he should have done it a little bit earlier because if he did it a little bit earlier, then he would have definitely saved that penalty. He kind of had an idea of what was coming. And, you know, by faking it, I think if he did it a tad earlier, he would have gotten there. But I think that also kind of sets up the next iteration for the for the penalty that Dybala took, right? And uh, we can talk about that when, once you go through the, the results. Well, for that. Yeah. So the next one was actually Kinsley Coleman. Yep. And what Emmy Martinez does so well is before the penalty shootout comes around, Emmy ta- talks to the referee. He gets really, like, he, cl- he gets close with the referees, like, Hey, just make sure the ball is on the mark. The ball is on the mark. Don't like make sure. And then when he goes up for Kingsley Coman's uh, penalty shot, he has the ball in his hand. He hands the ball to uh, Coman, gets in his head. He's like, you got this, bro. You sure you got this? Like just mind games. He talks to the referee one more time. He's like, make sure that ball is on the mark. The referee gives him a thumbs up saying that it's all good. And then Emmy goes on to save the penalty. Not a good strike, uh, well-taken penalty whatsoever. No. Great save, though. You have to give credit because, I mean, that's still a tough penalty to uh, save. That's part one of the mind games. After he makes the penalty save, he does a celebration, which typically goalies never do celebrations, but Emmy just loves to celebrate on any penalty save or any penalty miss. Uh, so he celebrates, literally fist pounds. Uh, next, Dybala. Very, very, very tough spot because we've seen a penalty shootout where players come in in the 118th minute just to take a penalty, right? In England in 2021, the Euros, well, 2020, quote-unquote, both Rashford, Saka, and Sancho come in to take the penalties. All three of them miss. And to to add to this, before before, uh, Dybala takes it, Martinez tells him to go right down the middle because... Because Loris missed the first one and it was kind of in the middle, he's going to be obligated to try and go in one direction. So because of that, Dybala should hit it in the middle. And he does that, and then that also succeeds. And basically, Dybala is also seen as a great substitution by Scaloni because he made the penalty, and uh, and he does his job right there. So I think, you know, we don't have to go, like, window by window. I think the only other PK I'm interested in discussing is uh, Chalmany's. Yes. Okay, that's actually what I was going to get into because Chalmany 
This is the actual next one. So, Emmy Martinez, for after the Dybala goal, Emmy grabs the ball. Literally, he's holding on to it. He's not giving it to the ref. He's waiting for uh, Chiumeni to come to the penalty spot to take the ball. What Emmy does is, instead of giving the ball to Chiumeni, he tosses it like 15 yards away from the penalty box. And as a player, the more you're thinking about the penalty, the more you're going to get in your head. So Emmy tossing the ball away, Chiumeni has to go get the ball. And because Emmy already has a good relationship with the referee, the referee didn't give any yellow card or anything like that. Everything was all good for Emmy Martinez. All gets in Chiumeni's head. Chiumeni goes up to take the penalty, misses wide. Now Argentina are up 2-1. They're in prime position. Every other penalty, if they score, they win it. Yeah. They go on, and the last two, the rest is history. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the the penalty right after Chalmany's could have been saved. Uh, Lori's got his hand to it. You know, there's a there's a, I mean, there's a lot of things that he could have done correctly in this penalty shootout. But we both have said before that he's not a good penalty kick saver. I would have been favoring that situation of subbing a different goalie on because I knew personally that if Loris was was taking uh, or saving the penalties, that he wasn't going to really save any. And uh, yeah, the only real result that I feel for or player that I feel for is Mbappe because he had a performance of the lifetime. He's already won one World Cup. If he had won the second one, he would be just a legend forever, no matter what he won uh, for any other trophy. But he's already won one. He won the, uh, you know, the golden shoe for for top goal scorer of the tournament, and he deserves that wholeheartedly. Would have been the player of the tournament 100% if France had won, and he had, yeah. that he had no doubt about it at that for point. Sure. Right? And I think I think that he played so well, his stock rose higher than any other player of this tournament. And I think that when we look forward into the future, it's hard to see him not winning another major international trophy throughout his career. And I mean, if we're we're talking about you know future outlooks, we'll, we can talk about the awards and stuff. But I think for Mbappe and his future, we're really looking at the uh, one of the only players that could realistically meet the club of three that are are currently in there for, right now for all time attacking players, where it's Pele, Maradona, and and now Messi. Right? He's he's essentially the only one right now because he already has a World Cup to his name. The only thing he really needs now is Ballon d'Ors and also Champions League trophies. And then he'll eventually get there, I think. Yeah, but I mean, to do that, I think he needs to go to... He should have gone to Real Madrid last summer. Um, That realistically... He that already as well. Huh? I think he knows that already as well. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, but if he wins the Champions League with PSG this year, I mean, that's a step in the right direction. Then he can go to Real Madrid next year. Uh, But... Right now, if he can get, if he can do it at the club level, he definitely has the potential to be uh, the greatest player of all time. But I mean, this World Cup showed who's the greatest player ever. Ronaldo is the greatest player on Earth. Messi is the greatest player on the planet, on on the galaxy, in the universe. Like he is not a, he is not human the way that he plays the game. I've been watching like highlights of him from when he was younger all the way until now. Like I've been watching as he grow like grew up to become the player that he is now. Like it's unbelievable that we were blessed with the opportunity to watch such an amazing player. And on top of that, such an amazing player on Ronaldo's aspect to push Messi to that next level. 
And hopefully we have Erling Hollands and Mbappe do the same for each other. Because if Messi didn't have Ronaldo next to him, I don't think he would have become the player that he is today. And I can say the same for vice versa. Ronaldo would not have become the same player because they're both so competitive and they want to become better and better and better. So yeah. really, what a, what a time to be alive, dude. I know. We were super blessed. It'll be hard to see if even now Mbappe and Holland replicating that, right? The goals are definitely there between both of them. But just uh, yeah. you have like that nostalgia factor with Messi and Ronaldo where we grew up with them. And, and now their careers are fading. I don't think Ronaldo, you know, even though he didn't win a World Cup, he won Portugal's first ever uh, major trophy internationally with the European Championship and then also, you know, won the Nations League, which is fine. It's a, it's a trophy, right? But the European Championship for Portugal, I think, matters uh, so much for them because it's their first ever major international trophy. It's hard uh, for his career to kind of end like that. If he was two years younger, I think that Portugal would be in a totally different situation. But the future is bright for their national team. And for Ronaldo, I don't think, you know, I, I know that he will be disappointed that he didn't win the World Cup in his career, but he's going to leave as a top 10 all-time player, you know, closer to five than he is 10. So I think he's a top five player. I yeah. think he's four. He he's number four behind uh, Pele, Maradona and, and Messi. Yeah, I mean, I think I, and there's nothing you can really take away from him because he's he's an absolute legend. He has all the international records, too. So. He's yep. the most capped player internationally of all time. He's the all-time top goal scorer internationally. He's won a major international trophy. So if you look at it in, in its entirety, it's an amazing career that yeah. only three or four players have ever had. You know what yeah. I mean? And so uh, he he misses out, but... Uh, he's, he's turned Portugal into a mainstay. For before, sure. Before him, Portugal weren't really... They they had quality that they, they had really good players, but they were never fully consistent in that top tier. And now they are. And they have so much young talent going into 2026, where they can literally be one of the four or five teams that that could win the tournament as well. So I think uh, I think that there's a lot to look on their side. France too, future is bright for Argentina though. In my opinion, even though their squad is talented. Uh, and I don't know if Messi is going to continue playing, just have a good time and stuff. He could do whatever he wants. Yeah. I, I think that for Argentina, though, they really had to win this World Cup. I think for sure. I think if they didn't win this one, then they their future, even though they have talented players, it's going to be a lot similar to the squads in 2018 and 2010 rather than the one in 2014 and, and this one where the team is talented from, from top to bottom. And uh, they have a lot of good players. He elevated the team. Without Messi, I don't think this team would be where they are. No. Like, they, would, they would not be anywhere near. He carried them at times. He carried yes, There's sure. a lot of games that they don't, they don't win this game 100%. They probably don't win the Netherlands game, you know. And, oh, yeah, sure. And, and, so, and so when you're looking at that in its entirety, he, he essentially is the reason why they, they won this World Cup. Yeah. And that's why, and, and to me, it's it's not only that he won it; it's the way he won it as well. So, full full uh, full credit to him. You know, we we talked about two of the awards. Uh, I think for young player of the tournament, we both agree Enzo Fernandez deserves it, right? I don't I don't have any quibble for that. And Emmy Martinez, you know what? I was texting you late at night, and I was like, oh, maybe Lavakovic or Bono deserved it. 
you know, because of how he's uh, essentially been losing out statistically to both of them. But with that save, man, and the penalty shootout with Netherlands and France, I don't, it doesn't matter. He should get it. And, uh, and yeah. One, two penalty shootouts. I agree. I agree. Like, uh, you can't, you can't discredit him for sure. What do you want to talk about? Dude, with the World Cup, we were graced with the opportunity to watch one of the best World Cups ever. Yeah. That was amazing. Everything. The whole skeptical, uh, spectacle of it, of it all. From start to finish, the culmination of that World Cup final, where millions and millions, and I mean, just in the U.S., millions of people in the U.S. who'd never watched soccer before watched that World Cup final, saying it is one of the best sporting events sporting finals of all time across all of sports right i i cannot say that it's not it's definitely in the conversation no it's definitely the best sporting event in the entire world it's uh this final itself was the best final i've ever seen for for the world cup i can't go as far as saying that it's the greatest match i've ever seen because there are a lot of matches that that are kind of uh up there, you know, with, with the quality of goals and the scoreline as well. So I can't, I can't for sure say that it's the best match overall. By far, the best World Cup final uh, that I've seen. And I think that, you know, in, even the 2018s was really good with Croatia and France as well. But I think, I think this one was amazing, wildly entertaining ending. And also, you know, I don't have any complaints with the winner. Their path was really difficult too after they got past Australia. And uh, and it's been it's been incredible to watch, and I'll I'll enjoy watching Messi now uh, play, which is something I yeah. you know, and uh, we'll see what happens. You know, do you ha- do you want to go into the aftermath of the the tournament and some of the shithassery and, and stuff? So I I mean, do you want to start with right after the tournament? Because what we can do is go straight after the tournament, where Emmy Martinez he goes up to get his award. He gets the trophy for the Golden Glove Award, and he uses it in a very sexual connotation where he puts it by his junk. And you have the king or prince of Qatar right behind him just staring at him like, what is this guy doing? Which truly, I cannot believe that Emmy Martinez did all of that. It's really insane. Like He loves his shithousery and all that stuff. Um, but after that, the celebrations, just nonstop. I saw Paulo Dybala say that uh, he probably in three days has had five hours of sleep just because they've been partying, drinking nonstop. They had to evacuate the Argentinian celebration. They had to have helicopters come in for the players, swoop them up just because it was so rowdy. Uh, it, it's really just, just imagine being there have over 5 million Argentinians in Buenos Aires, just one city, like, and celebrate you guys. Crazy. Yeah. I I love the shithousery uh, about Mbappe with Martinez holding a, a doll of him and then the fans burning a coffin with his picture on it. I mean, I think that kind of just uh, is something that if he sees, it'll just motivate him to go further. And I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to only push him further onwards with what he's going to be able to, to do. And uh, I think I think it's fun to see them celebrate and everything. Oh, for sure, for sure, it's fun to see them celebrate. 
I mean, it's every four years that you can win the World Cup, and not every team has the potential to win the World Cup. So, I mean, while you can, this is Argentina's third World Cup. You have to really, really, really enjoy it. Uh, there are fans that were singing a chant for Messi's dog, too, which is just crazy. Uh, but every single one of those players went out. They played their hearts out, uh, went to all the way to Qatar, and just did what they needed to do. And I, I feel like before the tournament started, I said that the players would put their life on the line for Messi, and that's exactly what they did. So uh, really, really great World Cup, great World Cup final. So happy for Messi, and I, I don't know what more to say. Uh, but Nick, I think what we should do now is that we have the World Cup, but football's not done, right? Yeah. Literally two days later on Tuesday, we had English Cup games. Brighton played. Like, Man United played yesterday. Leicester City played. <laughs> like, what is this? I mean, it's unbelievable, too, because players that were playing in the World Cup were also playing in this picture. You know, you had Casemiro, you had Rashford playing. Uh, I, I mean, there was a lot of things that were going on. Man City and Liverpool are playing at 3 p.m. You know, we're recording this Thursday at around 1.50. I think it's just absolutely just mind-boggling to me to see uh, some of the, the games that we saw going on. Nottingham Forest somehow winning 4-1, and they haven't won a game all season, so it could be an advantageous, you know, second half for them. Uh, I think it's so interesting to have these games, and I'm, I'm very happy that Arsenal wasn't a part of it, to be honest, even though they, they lost uh, to Brighton the round before. I don't know, Lucas. I think it's cool to to go into the club season. I think the January transfer window that's going to be coming up in a week is going to be one of the best January windows that we've seen because of this World Cup and because there are some breakout yeah. stars that, that will likely end up getting a move as a result of this for, for larger fees than we would expect to go for in the yeah. winter. I know that Arsenal are planning to purchase some players just based off of what I've read. Manchester United are planning to purchase some players. Madrid signed a 16-year-old who we we haven't even talked about. You know, Endrick is signing with Real Madrid, and he's going to play for Palmeiras for a couple of years before he ends up going to Madrid. So, I mean, there's just going to be so many things going on, and I think that's the most interesting thing and the thing that I'm going to be looking at uh, over the course of next month. You know, for for the Premier League... Do you anticipate, you know, your club doing better? Which clubs do you think are going to start off well, and which ones do you think are going to start off poorly? Man City are going to start off well. Erling Holland, two-month break. He is fully healthy, ready to go. Uh, 100% he will start off well. And a lot of the players that uh, they had had are really not um, – yeah, they're not. They haven't gone far in the World Cup, so they've had. They've been able to rest. So I think Man City is gonna uh, really step in and have a really strong second half. I think Arsenal really got impacted negatively with Gabriel Jesus getting injured. Uh, that's really, really uh, a bummer for them. Um, but overall, I think everybody is in the same boat. I don't think any team has an advantage, disadvantage. Every team is in the same boat. Maybe the lower side team, uh, lower tier teams, like the sec lower half teams, like uh, let's say the Newcastles or uh, the Brentfords, like those teams. Maybe they have an advantage. Yeah, but I, 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 realistically, I, I don't. You can't really say. 
I know what you mean by lower half when you talk about Newcastle. It's just because that they they didn't have that many squad players called up for it for the World Cup itself. Uh, I mean, they're currently in third place. I expect them to have a strong start. I agree with you. Man City, Newcastle, to me, are going to have an amazing return. The players that won the World Cup, they're going to come into their club teams and they're going to be in form. You know, Messi, McAllister, Emmy Martinez, they're going to Julian Alvarez. They're all going to come and they're going to be playing really well because of the confidence boost that they had at this World Cup tournament. And I think they're going to have a great start. I don't expect Arsenal to do well. Manchester United is going to be a little bit tough for them, uh, just given the fact that they they ended up, you know, starting a little bit earlier than anticipated as well. But there are a lot of the big teams that are going to essentially kind of have a slower start, I would say, but they're going to end up rebounding. The team that I'm going to say that is an underrated pick, in my opinion, that no one's looking at is Nottingham Forest. I think Nottingham Forest is going to come back and actually perform a lot better this second half of the season compared to the first, because a lot of the players that didn't get called up internationally, they're going to be training together. They've been training together for the past month. You know, they've been going in practice. They've been learning about each other more so than, than they normally would. And I think because of that, Nottingham Forest you should at least expect to have a way stronger start to this second yeah. half, given the amount of players that they purchased as well. Yeah, no, honestly, that's a great shout, uh, especially because like now they have more time for the players to mesh uh, and get that chemistry. So really, I think that is that's a great shout. Is there uh, anything you wanted to add before we talked about La Liga briefly? No, not really. I mean, this is typically the time of year that there's that fixture congestion um, where you have Boxing Day, you have New Year's Day, uh, you have a game in between Boxing Day and New Year's Day, which actually is uh, so typically right now has the schedule looks. It's Monday, Friday, and then they have a game on the second or the first, which yeah. is insane. So three games in a span of a week. Yeah. Uh, so that's going to be a tough, tough uh, essentially a tough fixture for these these teams because they have no time. They have no rest, especially the players that are coming back from the World Cup. They will definitely need a lot of... Uh, they are going to need to rotate, and the players that have that depth or the teams that have that depth are going to be more advantageous than the teams that don't have the depth, that need to play the same starting eleven. Right. And it's going to be the same situation with Manchester United, which, where you add to it, they have two games where the FA doesn't even know where to schedule it for them, yeah. just because there's no games that, that are available for Manchester United as of right now, unless they get knocked out of the tournament, right? Unless they get out of the FA Cup or the League Cup, there's no spaces for them right now to make up for the games that, they, that they're behind. Going into La Liga just a little bit, you know, Barcelona ended up top of the table with 37 points and Real Madrid was second at 35. And then there's a large drop off, right? So there's, it's going to essentially be a two horse race. Real yep. Madrid, I give a slight advantage to due to Benzema, not even participating in the world cup and recovering just in time for the kickoff of the second season or second half of the season. So I anticipate them having great tournaments. Atletico Madrid. I also can see doing really well. Uh, they ended up starting really poorly for this entire half of the season. Mm -hmm. I think the second half, they're going to really pick it up and they're going to end up probably around, uh, you know, third or fourth. But I mean, this isn't a huge opportunity for, you know, real Sociedad, Bill Bow and real Betis because yeah. they finished in the top six. And, you know, the normal teams that we see competing in 
that space aren't there. Sevilla is not there. Valencia is not there. Villarreal is not there. So, mm-hmm. I'm, I mean, this situation is really beneficial for uh, at least two of these three teams to potentially get into a Champions League spot right now. There are, you know, two points separating. Well, I mean, if you really want to get super technical, there are five points separating third to ninth place. And then if you're talking about third to seventh, there's only three points separating them. So really interesting tight window. Uh, curious to see how Griezmann plays with an Atletico Madrid setup because uh, if I were them, I would utilize him as a center midfielder all the time. And I think I think that's where France got the idea to use him there or to develop them more there because of how he plays for Atletico Madrid. But I would just start him in, in the middle of the pitch. Why not? I think it's a brilliant idea. I think he could be an excellent box-to-box midfielder. Uh, but, you know, that's just my take on it. I think La Liga is where you're going to see less of an impact compared to the Premier League because uh, La Liga, you have a lot of the players uh, either be in Spain. There's not really like an abundance of players that are overseas in La Liga. Yes, Real Madrid have a few of the French uh, and uh, what's called French, Austrian, Brazilians, but like they have had time to recover. They have had time to make sure that they're healthy. So I don't think, and a lot of the players are Spanish, where Spain got eliminated in the round of 16 early on. They've definitely had a lot of time, especially Barcelona. This is really beneficial for Barcelona, where they have Rafinha, they have Lewandowski, they have Pedri Javi, who all were eliminated early, were able to go back and join the club very early on. So I think Barcelona is really in a good position right now. But I agree. Real Sociedad, Atleti, uh, Atletic Club, uh, and Real Betis are really more beneficial with the World Cup being here, that they can rest. And their star players who didn't go to the World Cup are uh, able to be 100% fit. Yeah, I agree. I want to add a point because we're, we're kind of transitioning into like the news around the world. Lewandowski kind of made a good point about why it was one of the best finals in history. And it was just the fact that it's in the middle of the season and normally the finals in, you know, end of June, early July. So then the, the quality of the, the, the play is a little bit lower just because the players have been playing in this intensity for uh, a long time. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, I think we could see something similar to this near the end of the season where a lot of teams with a lot of uh, international players are kind of faltering because of this. But I think it's a super interesting thing. And I think you make a great point as well with, you know, the 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 fact that the Premier League has to deal with a lot more fixture congestion than the other leagues on the, in the world, because this could also impact them in European club competitions. Yeah. Right. Where Spanish teams and French and German teams and Italian teams aren't really playing as congested of a schedule as the English Premier League teams are with the addition of, you know, another club uh, cup competition that those other leagues don't have to do. And, you know, normally we see breaks that are long for these Mm -hmm. clubs. But I think because those breaks are already encountered for within the season, we'll see them kind of less fatigued compared to players on English Premier League teams. Yeah, no, 100% agree with that. Yeah, and uh, also, you know, there are some news and, and uh, interesting things that I wanted to, to go through, just some quick tidbits on, uh, on you know, players that I'm looking through while I'm scrolling through, you know, my favorite thing, which is Reddit soccer. <laughs> 
Uh, David Alaba is Austria, Austria's football player of the year. No surprise there. He got 97% of the possible maximum votes. He wins the award for the ninth time. Arnautovic <laughs> is second with a 27% maximum score. So, I mean, that's just the gap by far. No surprise there, Lucas, right? I mean, not at all. I, uh, I think that, you know, Lissandro Martinez as a sidebar, as I'm scrolling through, is, uh, is going to have an amazing second half of the campaign as well. I forgot to mention him when I was talking about Argentinians that are returning as well. He was voted Manchester United's fan player of the year, actually. After six months of being really? at the... Yeah, he was voted Manchester United's fan player of the year. Uh, which is crazy. Amazing. Unreal. Yeah. It's um, crazy. I mean, there, there are a few things that I actually I want to touch on and related to World Cup and Qatar. Okay. I mean, we touched on this a little bit. Coaches, actually. There's a lot of new managerial positions that have opened up, my friends. Which one of these do you think is the most eye-popping? And which one do you think would be the best for a particular candidate? Okay. So let's say right now we have uh, Belgium, who sacked Gerard Martino. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, sorry, Roberto Martinez. You have Gerard Martino, who's been sacked from Mexico. Yeah. You have Paolo Bento, who's been sacked from South Korea. Luis Enrique, who's been sacked from Spain. Tite, who resigned from Brazil. Louis Van Hal, who has resigned from Netherlands. And then Fernando Sanch, who resigned from Portugal. Which yeah. of these eight, six, or seven uh, managerial positions do you think is going to be the one that everybody wants and why do you think Jose Mourinho should go to Portugal <laughs> amazing question because that's what I was going to say Portugal <laughs> the best job just based off of the town and in France we don't know what Deschamps is doing yet right so not sure what that's what's going to happen there and, and not sure I, I believe what's going to happen with Germany as well but even in those situations if 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 both were true France would probably be the the best job out there but Portugal is is second or first in that scenario I think with all the young talent that is coming through, you know, a lot of the players that got called up to this World Cup squad are still going to play in the next World Cup and they're still going to be in their mid 20s, you know. Yeah. And I think because of that, they're going to have a huge advantage and that and this is why I kind of feel bad for Ronaldo because if he was 3 3 years younger, then I think essentially the next World Cup would be by far his best chance to win it yeah. instead of this one, but I think for Portugal overall, 2026 is going to be potentially their best chance to win it just in general in, in a long time. Since I think 2006, since they made the semifinal and lost to uh, to France, where Zidane scored in that game. Uh, don't ask me how I remember that. I think, I think that that is kind of the scenario that we're looking at for them. I think Jose Mourinho is perfect for, for Portugal. I've always thought that he should be Portugal's manager, regardless of if he wants to manage a club team or not. It does not impact the, the fact that he can have scouts go to other games or he can pick a team to get mm-hmm. called up, and then that Portuguese team can play a certain style. I think he uh, is just the best Portuguese manager ever. He's around. He uh, will get that job one way or another. It's either when he's done with club football, they're going to want him to manage the team, or he's going to manage the team at the same time he's managing Roma, right? Those are the only two scenarios that he wants, and I think that he is he is the best for the job. 
if you want Belgium, in my opinion, I think Belgium would be great. I think it's the second best. Uh, I think Brazil is the second best. You think? Oh, Brazil. Sorry, I forgot about Brazil. Totally forgot about Brazil. But I think Brazil is, in my opinion, that's kind of already set in stone. Where I think Ancelotti will eventually end up being there. And if he's there, then uh, they're going to be amazing. Yeah, for sure. That's, that's the talk, at least, right? After the season, Ancelotti is going to be Brazil's manager. Yes. Uh, and then for for Belgium, I think uh, Vincent Company or Thierry Henry would be great for them, in my opinion. Company a little bit more. I think Company, but then Company he's still learning under Burnley, so right. I think it still will take some time for him. I think as a good layover, it can be Thierry, Thierry Henry, um, but I think Company potentially down the line. But I think this team's done either way. I I don't know if there's the quality right. Yeah. Like. It, it, they're getting older. KDB said they're getting older too. So it, it's just a bit more difficult, you know? This is what I think about it. I think uh, I think companies doing really well with Burnley. You know, they're they're right now they're top of the table in the championship and it, it looks like they have the potential to go up. I think with Belgium, like there's still a lot of really good players there. You know, there's still a lot of really good players there, and I think they can still be competitive to the level of what we saw with Denmark being competitive, where they're still qualifying for these tournaments, but they not may not necessarily go as far. You know, this was their definitely their golden generation, but it's uh it's over now and there's some young talent that's coming up and we'll see how they develop. I yeah. uh, ultimately agree with that. With South Korea and uh you know all the 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 lower level jobs, is there another job you want me to spe- or you want us to specifically talk I think, about? I think that's pretty much it, my dude. Yeah, I mean those other those other ones like it'll be hard for them to to hire or find new positions, but I think that there is definitely value in those right with South Korea as well, especially because I think that that team could uh, could definitely have the potential to, to continue to qualify for these major competitions. For sure. Well, we got a we got an exciting second half of the year, bro. Yeah, man, I'm excited. I'm excited for the second half to start, you know, and I'm excited for the January transfer window to see who moves in to, to what teams and how that yeah. affects the, the second half of the season after January. But as far as it goes, I think uh, I think that's all I have for today. I don't know if you wanted to talk about anything else. Uh, same, bro. <laughs> all right. Sorry, guys. Well, we'll catch you next week. We're going to be talking about the results for the first round of matches back and then potential rumors we're hearing from our boy Fabrizio Romano. We hope you guys enjoy the show. We'll catch you next time. Enjoy them, techers.